Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast, as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with World Series champ and Dodgers pre- and post-game broadcaster, Jerry Harrison Jr. Alright, let's do this! And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone, and today on the program, we sit down with a 16-year MLB veteran. He's a World Series champion, and he's currently a Dodger broadcaster working on the pre- and post-game show on Sportsnet LA. Ladies and gentlemen, Jerry Harrison Jr. Jerry, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Booney. You got, hey, 75th anniversary, uh, anniversary Jackie Robinson uh, breaking the color barrier. Pretty cool. Pretty cool being a Dodger. Uh, you know, obviously, you're, you're following those Dodgers day in and day out. But more interestingly, for, for those of you listening to the Boone podcast, Jerry Harrison's a third-generation player, uh, like the Boones, like the Bells. And uh, something we have in common, we probably had a lot of similar things growing up, a lot of uh, similar childhoods. But what we also have in common is a grandfather uh, that we we're yeah. both – pretty close to my grandfather. You know, they both passed away, but they were big, big parts of our life. In doing my prep work, Jerry, for this for this podcast, he was an all-star in the Negro League in 48. Um, yep. Just t- tell me a little bit about uh, about growing up and Gramps and, and his influence on you. Recently on the Boone podcast, we had uh, Mr. Kendrick on, who's the who's the president of the Negro League Museum. He kind of walked me through. It was really interesting. And then and then I look at your grandfather, Sam. Give me a little give me a little taste of, of what that was like. Well, we, we've had five Harrisons play in the major leagues, uh, started with my grandfather. And out of the five, my grandfather was the best player out of all of us. He just didn't have the opportunity. Now, he was the first black player to play for the Chicago White Sox. Uh, he doubled in his first at bat. Uh, he went two for five, and but he had, even though he had success, they quickly sent him back down to AAA uh, because they felt, you know what, we already have Minnie Minoso up there. We don't need another guy up here. Uh, he was hitting 360, 370s in AAA, but he never got that opportunity to play again, which is kind of sad. But, you know, just talking with him when he was here, he never was bitter. You know, he just focused on the positive. Uh, he was a, a major league baseball player. He was a coach, uh, he coached for many years, and he was also a scout. Uh, also helped guys like my father. Uh, he signed my dad. He, fi- he signed Lamar Johnson. He even signed uh, the Mays boys, the, the Carlos Mays, Lee Mays, uh, all those guys. Uh, so you know, he was a tremendous human being. Uh, always was thinking of the positive, never dwelled on the negativity. Uh, and loved his family. And the most the most important thing he, tr- he stressed with his sons and his grandsons and the grandchildren is just be a good person, you know, and, and take advantage of any opportunity you have, whether it's education, uh, whether it's athletically. Uh, and he really had a tremendous influence, not just on myself, but his entire family. Yeah, very cool. And, and you know, I know you, he was real special and important part of your life. Gramps, for me, uh, he was my kind of my first. People ask me, how'd you get into baseball? Well, obviously, our families, that's kind of what we did. You know, dad went to the ballpark every day. But my early influence was my grandpa. I spent a lot of time with him 
uh, in my early years, you know, my formidable <laughs> one to three. Yeah. And I remember just wearing my grandpa out, you know, putting on the catcher's gear and just beating him over the head at five in the morning. Let's go play ball. And, uh, you know, and you like like me, probably he, he probably had a million stories for you that you've heard uh, 800 times. And then when they're gone, years later, you look back and, and I know for myself, I think, wow, I wish Gramps was here to tell me that Ted Williams story one more time. Yeah, exactly right. You know, what's amazing. When I was growing up in the 90s, uh, you know, the black culture started to to really kind of take off. And, and, you know, our generation, the teens and the early 20 guys wanted to know more about our, our about black history. And I remember being in the seventh grade and and somebody doing a report on, on Black History Month, and they were doing a report on Double Duty Ratcliffe. He was the famous Negro League catcher who he caught one day one game of the doubleheader, and they would pitch the next day, game of the doubleheader. And I remember a kid doing it in my class. I go, Double Duty Ratcliffe was just at my house like two months ago. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, my God. You know, I, I know him as just Double Duty, just being a, a, a great guy. But I started to think back on the people that I met through my grandfather and my father. You know, th- those were the guys that I, I, I would hear about, you know, and then I would hear about stories about Satchel Page. My grandfather uh, would catch Satchel Page in those barnstorming games. And then with double duty Ratcliffe was catching, my grandfather would play third base. You know, so all those guys I read about and heard about during Black History Month in school, my grandfather told me all those stories. You know, so uh, it was cool to kind of hear those stories from my grandfather's point of view, because to him, they were just his teammates. You know, I, heard, I knew about Josh Gibson being the greatest hitter my, my, my grandfather ever saw. You know, the, 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 the ball, how it exploded off his bat, you know, and then hearing it years later, uh, you know, obviously hearing stories about him being one of the greatest players of all, of all time. Uh, those are the type of stories I grew up around and wanted me to, I wanted to have those stories, you know, like my grandfather, you know, traveling around, playing in different cities. Uh, all over the country and playing in, in Mexico, playing in Venezuela, where he played and starred there. So, you know, that really kind of forced me in a good way, in a positive way to, to, to kind of thrive in the game of baseball because I wanted to have those stories of my own the way my grandfather had those stories. Yeah, that's very cool. Uh, grew up in Naperville. Um, Jerry Harrison as a little kid. You know, we talked about our, our, our lives kind of kind of paralleling one another. Our childhood, probably a lot of similarities. But what were you like as a kid? Was it always baseball? Did you, did you play other sports? Who was your team? I know you pretty athletic family. You mentioned on the Open. You got five five Harrisons in the big leagues. Got to play with your brother, Scott. Uh, we'll get yeah. to that a little bit later. But give me a little snapshot of Jerry Harrison as a kid. Uh, I know it's going to be kind of hard for you to believe, Booney, but I was kind of cocky. You know, no, really. I was the guy that, yeah, I, I was the guy that, you know, you know, five foot five, five foot six as a freshman, sophomore, thought I was six two, six three, and you know, I played basketball and I wanted to be like, like Mike, Mike. You know, everybody wanted to be like Mike, but especially me, being a kid growing up in Chicago, watching all those Bulls teams, I really wanted to be a basketball player. I remember my, I told my dad, you know, I want to play college basketball, and he said, Listen, I'm five eleven, your mom's five two good luck with that. You know, and I thought I was going to go play college basketball as well. Uh, it didn't happen, but I was the guy that thought I was better than I actually was. You know, I remember, you know, fast forward 2010, I played with my brother, Scott, um, you know, the, the Padres, 
you know, do a story on me and my brother Scott, and they asked my dad in the newspaper, you know, when did you know your sons were going to make the big leagues? He said, well, Scott always could hit. He was the youngest one. I knew right away he will be a big leaguer. With Jerry, it was funny because this is him talking. He always thought he was better than he actually was. I don't know if it was a compliment <laughs> or what, but I think my mind, I tricked myself into being a, a, a big leaguer. You know, I worked extremely hard. Uh, but it was for me, you know, once I got to, to, to college baseball, it was big leagues or bust. You know, I, even though I, could, I felt I could do other things, whether getting into broadcasting or, or doing something else, you know, my mindset was I was going to be a big leaguer, whether I'd have two or three years in the big leagues or have, you know, 10 to 15 years. That was my mindset. So as a young man, I wanted to be a basketball player because of George. But deep down, I knew, you know, I wanted to be a baseball player and hanging around in the White Sox clubhouse. That was my team. You know, you know, growing up around Carlton Fisk, Ozzy Guillen, Frank Thomas, Robin Ventura, you know, learning from those guys uh, and gaining confidence from those guys, kind of pushing me, you know, saying, hey, you can get here one day. That definitely helped, too. While I got a quick second, want to give a shout out to DraftKings. We've partnered with DraftKings now, and they are the official sponsor of the Boone podcast. Dan? Thanks, Boone. Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still take your shot at a big payday. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code BOON. B-O-O-N-E, bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code Boone at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 plus minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void where prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the TN Redline 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-HOPENY or text HOPENY 467-369. And now back to my interview with Jerry Hairston Jr. I'm a firm believer in in your brain is your most powerful tool. You know, we're all graded differently. We're all graded on arm strength and speed and bat speed. And, uh, what type of hitter you are, how much power you have, but the intangibles really in, in a lot of circumstances tell the whole story, you know, watching young players come up and, and, uh, you know, I worked for the A's for a couple of years as a special assistant to the general manager, and I'd see these kids come in, and it was my job to evaluate them. You know, it, anybody that's six four and could run like the wind's got big bat speed, got a cannon for an arm. They're easy to, yeah, of course, they're first round pick, but but it's that it's that next category, and, and you hit on it right there, saying I believed that I was a big ligger. I, I thought I was better than I was because. I just believe that if you think you're great, you are great, but you truly got to think it, you know, if, if we could, 
the biggest thing is is believing in yourself, not fake believing. You know, we've all met those guys that when they get a crowd around uh, and they hold court, they can tell you what you think you need to hear. But I want that guy that looks me in the eye that, like you said, it's five, eight, five, nine. He's a baseball yeah. player, looks me in the eye and says, Mr. Boone, I'm going to be a big leaguer and I'm going to be a good big, big leaguer and I'm going to play for 15 years. That's the guy I want no on my team. Because he's, Adam, you know, he he has no idea what what's about to hit him, <laughs> the, the 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 humble pie that we all get as big leaguers. But I'll take that guy and, and watch him get knocked down and watch him get back up again. And that's the key right there. You know, just because you have the power of belief doesn't mean you have an inflated ego. You know what I'm saying? It, it's the right way. You're going to get knocked down, but you need that guy to get back up. Dustin Pedroia, to me. Is he embodied that better than anybody? You know, he was five foot six, five foot seven, but he thought he was six foot seven, you know, 250 pounds. And he made himself into not just a big leaguer, but a great big leaguer, you know. And I think we need more of those type of guys in the game. And, you know, it's, it's a shame, you know, you see clubs, well, he's a six foot three, he runs like the wind. Yeah, we want guys like that. We want athletes. But at the same time, we also want baseball players too. You have to have a mixture. And I think we've gotten away from that a little bit where you want to have different types of guys in a clubhouse because it keeps a clubhouse fresh and it allows your team to have a different dynamic. You know, I want that grinder. I want one or two grinders on my team and then, you know, have a Ken Griffey Jr. on your, on your squad, you know, that type of athlete, you know, because I think that uh, is healthy and I think that is the, the perfect makeup for a team. And, and I failed to mention one other guy, Harold Baines. Harold Baines is my favorite player besides my dad growing up. You know, I followed Harold Baines, you know, throughout his whole career, and he was my favorite player uh, following the White Sox, and I ended up playing with him. We were teammates <laughs> in Baltimore. So that was something unique where, you know, I hear a guy I admired so much because he was such a great player, clutch hitter. I ended up playing with him, being teammates with him a couple years in Baltimore. So that was pretty cool and a great experience. Harold Baines, that dude could hit. You know, it's funny. It's funny you you say that you end up playing with him. You know, you grew up as a little kid in the clubhouse. And I'm sure you've been asked this a million times, just like I have because of our situation. And they always say to you, well, you probably had an advantage, you know, with your dad and your grandfather, what came before you. My answer to that is, you know, I don't think it hurt me, but it's one thing being a little kid in the clubhouse. It's another thing checking in as a player and, and that's what you do for a living, you know, then, then the, the, the playing field's leveled and, and you're like everybody else. Um, I, I had some experiences like that guys that played with my dad and next thing you yeah. know, they're my teammates and, and I'm looking around like you're my dad's friend. You're not supposed to be my teammate. We just had Lance Paris yeah. on the show. Lance was my teammate briefly in Seattle and it was like a bizarro world when I'd walk in and Lance yeah. is the catcher. You know, it was, it was really weird for me. Your, your experience with Harold Baines, very similar, but uh, cool stuff nevertheless. You're a 40 sec. You, you go to uh, Naperville North High School. You're a 42nd yep. round pick of the Orioles in the 95 draft. They were to stay true to you a couple of years later, and, and they draft you again. You went to Southern Illinois, freshman of the year. Uh, give me a little, little college background on you. I know you went to Cape Cod a couple of years. I never went to Cape Cod. I went to uh, Alaska, and back then it was kind of you either go to Alaska uh, to play or you play Cape Cod. Now Cape Cod's sure. still the, the the pinnacle, the the North Star yeah. for college baseball. Alaska's fallen a little bit, but uh, take me through that a little bit. 
Well, I was drafted in the 42nd round uh, out of high school. I, listen, I wasn't ready for pro ball. I played a lot of basketball. Uh, I had uh, offers, uh, UIC, uh, Evansville was interested in, for me playing basketball. Marquette, Marquette didn't have a baseball team. Uh, I was a pretty good basketball player. I could have played Division One, but I would have never gone to the NBA or anything like that. Um, but baseball was definitely my future. So I used college to get stronger. I probably was five foot ten, five foot eleven, one hundred and fifty pounds going into my freshman year of, of college. So I wasn't ready for pro ball. So I, I used that time to get stronger, really focus on baseball. I had a really good freshman year. I loved playing for Darren Callahan at Southern Illinois. We played in a great conference uh, with Wichita State. They were number one in the in the country at that time with Braden Looper, Casey Blake. They had a really good squad my freshman year. Uh, Creighton was in, in, in our conference. So it was a really good baseball school. Uh, and I got a chance to play in the Cape Cod League my freshman year. And I think what kind of put me on the map was swinging wood bat in that league as a freshman. I remember Eric Milton was drafted by the Yankees that year. He decides to come to, to uh, Cape Cod, you know, to, to, to reenter the draft the next year. And he mows down about 14 or 15 guys. He gives them three hits in like six innings. I was the only guy who, who touched him. I got three hits off of him, uh, and I squared a couple balls up, you know, turned him around, and that put me on the map, you know, because Eric was throwing about 96, 97 from the left side, and I was able to show some bat speed. And so that was my first kind of taste of being a prospect. I was kind of a late bloomer, and then my sophomore year I was draft eligible, uh, had a really good year, especially in the, in the conference and I thought I would go second or third round. You know, a lot of clubs thought I would stay an extra year. Uh, but, you know, I slide in the draft, you know, in the 11th round. The Orioles said, listen, you're our only guy we've taken <laughs> thus far in the infield. Pat Gillick drafted me uh, with Kevin Lone and Fred Peterson was a scout. And they told me, they were very honest with me, listen, I know you're 11th rounder, but we see you as a second or third rounder. If you sign with us, we promise you. We will not hold you up. We feel you're two or three years away from the big leagues. So they convinced me, you know, hey, you know, you're, you're, you're a polished guy. I signed in 97. I was in the big leagues as a September call in 98. So Pat Gillick and Kevin Malone, they kept their word. They kept their promise. You know, I was able to go through the system, but I wasn't ready for big leagues that year. I, it just, you know, kept me as a September call just so I can experience the big leagues. And then 99 was really my year that I got a chance to play. I uh, was up and down, and, and that was my first taste of the big leagues as a player. 98, I got a chance to see Roger Clemens, got a chance to see, you know, big leaguers up close and personal. Brett, you know this. There's one thing about being in the clubhouse as a kid, and it's another thing at being in the big leagues as a player saying, man, I got to get a lot better. I got to get stronger. I got to get faster. I got to get more polished because these guys are refined. They're big leaguers for a reason, you know, so – 99 was my first year where I felt like, you know what, I belong here. And then, you know, it was up and down for a couple of years and then, you know, had, had a career. Yeah, it's I mean, I, I was looking at that and you did. You got you got drafted in 97. I said, I didn't know Jerry got to the big leagues that quick. You were you were in the big you were in you were in the big leagues within one year. You know, that 98 yeah. season, you only got seven ABs, but not too many people get yeah. called up their first September call up. Uh, 99, you're there. You hit 269. And and this is back to – I was looking at those Orioles teams back then. I mean, you had Will Clark on that team. You mentioned earlier Baines. Uh, Albert Bell 
You know, and we've had some talks about Albert Bell out on the golf course after I told you he came on the show and and how impressed I was with with how he talked the game. You know, one of the greatest run producers of our time. And also you played with, you know, the the iconic Cal Ripken. But that was your first taste of the big leagues. You had these guys as kind of mentors. Anybody take you under their wing? Kind of shoot you the ropes? You You know, Brady Anderson was incredible. Uh, David Segui were, were incredible teammates. Even though I was the youngest guy, I was 22 when I got to the big leagues, 22, 23, and the, the next youngest position player was Charles Johnson. He was 30, you know? So even though, you know, I was, you know, a, a, a son of a big leaguer, third generation, these veteran guys kind of put me in my place in a good way. You know, they were hard on me, but they, because they expected a lot out of me. You know, they wanted to make sure I was tough because they needed be, me to – they needed to rely on me if there was a you know ball hits my way I wouldn't freak out or if I needed you know get a knock in the ninth inning they wanted to make sure I was tough enough it was that old school type mentality I know BJ Surhoff was really hard on me but you know he came up in the in, in the early 80s with those Brewers teams and they were hard on him and that was the only way he knew but as a whole with Cal Ripken Brady Anderson Albert Bell Delano DeShields Will Clark they really took me under the wing and expected a lot. He goes, listen, you need to be a 10-year big leaguer. If you're not a 10-year big leaguer, the way, the, the way you play the game, shame on you. You know, you're not going to be a superstar. You don't have 50 home run potential. Uh, but you could be a guy that could play, you know, a, a lot of years in the big leagues because you play the right way. You put the ball in play and you catch the ball. And they helped me establish myself, you know, as a big leaguer and, and, and help me play a long time. Carried a lot of gloves. You played every position in the big league except for pitcher and catcher. I don't know how you didn't get that done. I mean, come on, strap it on one night and, and throw a throw a ninth inning in a blowout. So just so you can complete. First, the you cycle. wanted no part of me pitching because <laughs> we, we would we'd still be playing. We'd still be playing. But believe it or not, I came up as a catcher in high school. I was a catcher. Uh, my grandfather taught me to catch. I caught actually in the Cape Cod League as well. Uh, I was a sophomore varsity catcher, but I was just too small. You know what I'm saying? You know, usually the catchers, they want, you know, 6'2", 6'4", 270 pounds. They want that beast, you know, behind the plate. Uh, and my father said, bro, you, you need to move to the middle infield. That way it could prolong your career. You're athletic. You need to use your athleticism because you're, you know, behind the plate, you know, you, you can have messed up knees and you need your speed. So I went to the infield. So I learned how to catch. My grandfather was a catcher. He taught me to catch. Uh, I was going to actually catch in game two of the ALCS. We were in the 13th inning, and Joe Girardi said, hey, man, we, we go into extras even further. You're going to probably be behind the plate. So I let off the 13th. I hadn't caught in like six or seven years. I made sure I got the hit and scored the run. That way I wouldn't have to put on the gear. So – even though uh, I never caught in the big leagues or pitched, uh, I was prepared definitely as a catcher, but definitely not as a pitcher, no way. Where'd you like playing the most? <sighs> shortstop, man. It, it was so fun. I love playing shortstop. I think that is the position. As far as fun, just having fun, I, I think center field is probably the, the funnest position because you can go run down some fly balls. You can act like Tanker for Jr., try to rob a home run. You could dive. Uh, for just pure fun, maybe center field's my favorite. But as far as, you know, being that type of athlete, being in the mix, there's nothing like shortstop. 
and shortstop. It's, a, it's the premier position. I mean, I tell everybody all the time, you don't make somebody into a shortstop. You're either a shortstop, you're not a shortstop. And definitely coming up, having the ability to play over there opens up a whole world. I, I say it all the time. This kid, if you can play shortstop in the big leagues, you can play anywhere in the big leagues. I could. Absolutely. I mean, I was I was a shortstop through college, and I remember my first my first camp. Uh, they said, all right, kids, you know, I was an instructional bar. So take your position or no, that first camp, when you get drafted, they send you, you know, to Arizona for a couple of days. All right, everybody take your position. I start running out to short. And I remember hearing a voice, Boone, you go to second. I, I kind of smiled and said, yeah, that's where I kind of belong. My feet, I get mixed up on, on the backhand, but, uh, 2001, you steal. I mean, you're a base dealer, you know, and you had to be, you, you, you had, Many hats that you wore. And, and uh, we talked off air a little bit about a teammate of mine, Willie Bloomquist, who ended up getting 16 years in the big leagues. And I remember he was a locker mate of mine when he first got to the big leagues. And, you know, I was always trying to give him ad- advice. And he was a good kid and worked hard. Everybody loved him. He was yeah. the best. He could steal. We'd put Willie in the game, eighth inning, big game, big situation. Everybody in the ballpark knew he was in there for one reason, to steal a base. And he'd steal it. Yeah. And I thought that's a skill that cannot be taught. Willie could play short, second, third, center field. I remember always sitting and having our little meetings when we get to the ballpark at about three. And he'd look at me and go, Booney, when do you think my next start is? And and uh, John McLaren <laughs> at the time was a was a bench coach for us. And I'd say, hey, Mac, yeah. come here. Young Bloomquist has got a question. He wants to know when he's going to be playing next time. And let's say it's a Tuesday. Mac would go, uh, Boone, tell Bloomquist that uh, I'll do a little investigating and I'll get back to you. And I said, okay. And Johnny Mac would come out, you know, about 10 minutes later and goes, and he wouldn't talk to Willie. He'd go, uh, Boone, tell Bloomquist that if I were him, uh, I might come to the park on Thursday ready. <laughs> and he'd leave and Willie'd look at me. He goes, that means I'm starting Thursday. I said, probably Willie that's what it means and it sure enough Willie'd be there Thursday I'd get to the ballpark he'd already he'd already be in full uni and I'd go uh ready to roll you in the game he goes I'm in there I said all right baby big day today big day and <laughs> and it was cool and the next thing you know uh years later you know I'm long retired and Willie's still going and he got 16 years and he goes yeah Boone did you ever think I said no I said but man you've had a hell of a career and he could do it all and he was a great part of our teams in Seattle. He was, he, he played a huge role. You know, a lot of those guys, guys on those early Mariner teams, those early 2000 Mariner teams, they they were niche players and they had certain roles, but man, they were important. 29 bags in, in 01, 21 in 02, uh, 04, you hit 303. And that's when you get traded, you get traded for Sosa, pretty big deal. Yep. Uh, What's that like? You come up with Baltimore. You've been drafted twice by him. You spent some time there. Now you're headed to uh, to Chicago. Yeah, I mean, right before then, it's funny. I uh, broke my foot, and I broke it in Anaheim. I was having my best year in 03. I was leading the league in stolen bases. Uh, I think I had like 15 at the time, and I was hitting about 315. I go, man, I'm going to be an all-star this year. This is the year I'm going to be an all-star. I'm leading off, playing every day, snap my foot in half. Uh, I remember going to the doctor, and the doctor said, uh, you, you run, huh? You're pretty fast. I go, I'm pretty fast. He goes, well, you, you'll never run the same again. And he wasn't, he wasn't lying. I never really ran that, the same again. They had to put a screw in my foot. 
Uh, that kind of altered a little bit. I would have hamstring issues after that. Uh, and then the injuries kind of started to pile up. So then, you know, Brian Roberts is called up. Brian Roberts does an incredible job. Now he's the second baseman. And I said, well, I got to make myself into an athlete. And they go, can you play the outfield? I said, yeah, I'll play the outfield. I hadn't played the outfield since I was probably eight years old. Uh, but I, I knew I was an athlete. And I became and made myself into an outfielder. Long story short, in 04, I become the everyday center fielder and hit 303. And they told me, hey, going in 05, you know, you're going to be our center fielder. You're going to hit behind Brian. You'll hit second. I said, okay, I really feel like I'm, you know, coming to my own as a hitter. You know, I won't hit, you know, 25, 30 home runs, but I'm going to make contact hit anywhere from 280 to 310, and I'm the center fielder. Two days after they tell me I'm the starting center fielder, they trade me to the Chicago Cubs for Sammy Sosa. So I was like, are you kidding me? But I'm going to Chicago. I get traded for Sammy. I'm from Chicago. I was, I was excited. You know, a chance to win. You know, I had never been in the postseason, and that team was ticketed. You know, we thought that year with our pitching staff, with Kerry Wood, Mark Pryor, Zambrano, Greg Maddox, we'd make the postseason in 05. We have a slew of injuries. Uh, we don't make the postseason. But that was probably the year under Dusty Baker where I started to play everywhere. You know, and that made me into a, a super utility type guy. And he said, listen, you know, you're not going to play every day, but if you can be the guy who plays short, center, second, you know, you could kind of prolong your career. So I think the injury in 03 kind of, you know, sh- took me in a different direction. But, you know, the way I look at it, you know, I was able to get in a lot of years because I could play everywhere. It forced me uh, to be a center fielder. It forced me to be a shortstop. And, um, you know, you know, playing in Chicago was, was a thrill. I, I did have another injury in, in 06, a back injury that affected me in 06 and 07. Uh, but, you know, li- you know, learning from Dusty Baker set the tone for the rest of my career. Yeah, very cool. And and I think, I mean, it, and nowadays, 2022, it seems like your type of player, hey, you're going to play everywhere. That, that's kind of the way of the future. That's the way they're going. You know, I remember yeah. coming up in the minor leagues when I was coming up. I never played a different position. I played second base yeah. every day. Now these kids come, unless they're a can't-miss uh Tatis type of talent. These guys right out of the draft are playing third, second, short, and they're kind of on a rotation. That's the way the game's going. And, and, you know, you, you, you were on a path. I mean, you were a more than a utility player. You were playing all over the place. You almost got 5,000 big league at bats. So it's not like you, you were just playing here and there. I mean, you were, you were in there quite a bit. Uh, You go to the Cubs, 261, you get traded again. In in 2006, you get traded for my buddy Phil Nevin, who who's I on the program. Too, I was going through it. I'm going. You go Sosa, <laughs> then you get traded for Nev. You're moving on to Cincinnati. Yeah, I tell you what, I, I got traded for Nev, uh, and he calls me up. He goes, Jair, Phil, uh, who? I never met Phil. Phil got my number from my good friend Gary Matthews Jr. He goes, we just got traded for each other, brother. How about we swap places? I'll take your, your crib in Chicago and uh, you know how Phil talks. <laughs> yeah. take your crib in Chicago and uh, you take uh, you take my pad in in Texas. All right, brother. I was like, all right, let's make it easy. So he takes over my place in Chicago. And I take his spot in Texas. So we were trading for each other. I didn't get a chance to play in Texas. Uh, they had great lineups, man. They had Michael Young, who's coming to his own as a star. Ian Kinsler was rookie of the year type of player. Then he became a star. Hank Blaylock was an all star. Uh, but. I was under Rudy Jaramillo. Jaramillo, he was the hitting coach of Texas. He was awesome. 
So what I did was I, I didn't get a chance to play American League, but I learned a lot, man. And I told myself, hey, I'm going to get an opportunity somewhere to play. I would take, I mean, slew of ground balls, Booney, at short. I mean, I would tire myself out knowing I wasn't going to play that night. But I said, I'm going to make myself into a really good shortstop. I hadn't played shortstop in years, but I'm going to make myself into a shortstop. Fast forward, Dusty Baker signs me in 08. Alex Gonzalez gets hurt. Jeff Kepinger gets hurt. I'm now the everyday shortstop in, in Cincinnati in 08. I have my best year. Hey, 326 that year. Yep, hit 326 that year. Junior, you know, Ken Griffey was was one of my teammates who was awesome. I mean, one of the best teammates ever. I didn't realize how funny he was. You know, I knew he was always, you know, a good dude just playing against him. Always had a smile on his face, but he, who wouldn't have a smile on their face if they had that type of swing? Uh, but he was an incredible teammate. Um, and, you know, playing under Dusty Baker again, that really set the tone for the second half of my career. Played short, played center. I loved playing in Cincinnati, uh, and, and it was just a really good fan base. Um, and I really had fun there. Yeah, you mentioned Junior. Junior was huge for me uh, early in my career, you know, and it, and it was kind of weird because Junior and myself are the same age. But when I got called to the big leagues and, and you talk about you being being pretty cocky as a kid, I was kind of that way, too. And when I got to the big leagues, I thought I was the greatest player in the world. And I get to Seattle and I look around the room. You know, I got there pretty quick. I got there in about a year and a half. Yep. And I look around the room and I'm like, Ken Griffey Jr., we're the same age. You know, he's going into his third All-Star game. I'm just – I haven't even got a hit yet. And I'm going, <laughs> I thought I was good. This is what's – you know, <laughs> this is especially good. And yeah. what I remember about Jr., and we all have that that early time in our big league career – where it is a struggle. I mean, it's a grind. And I'm, we're just trying to make a name for ourselves. Uh, I think you yeah. alluded, alluded to it earlier. We're trying to uh, just just show people that we belong there. And Kenny was like a yeah. salty veteran, but we're the same age. But he'd have these little talks on the side with me, like a father figure talk. And he's like, Booney, come here. Yeah. Now, listen, you got to calm down a little bit. And I felt like I was talking to an elder statesman, but we're the same age. So... You're right. Kenny's a great guy. He was a big, he had a big impact on me. And you keep mentioning Dusty Baker. Dusty, I, I feel like everybody loves Dusty. Everybody that ever played for him loves him. I felt playing against him, and I don't know Dusty well, but I felt playing against him when he was in uh, San Francisco. With the, I just felt like he'd give me a look, a smile, a wave as I was coming on the field. I remember early uh, at Candlestick Park, I'd, I'd come out and the locker rooms are in right field. And it was just, hey, Booney, hey, Dusty, like we were old yep. buddies. Yet we never really right. had a conversation. Tell me what, what the allure is of Dusty Baker. If you can't play for Dusty Baker, you're a bad person. Dusty Baker makes sure that he lets you know that I'm going to put you in the best possible position for you to succeed. I've already had my career. Booney, you know this. You have coaches. You have managers that you know, are a little bit bitter, and they wish they had a better career than they actually had. They're going to take it out on the young guy, or they're going to take it out on this guy, or they just don't like you for some reason. Dusty, he doesn't have time for that. All he cares about is winning. You know what I'm saying? And he wants to make sure that you have success, not just on the field, but also off the field. He'll always ask you about, hey, how's your, your wife doing? How's, how's your mom, your dad? How's, every, how's your family doing? He cares about you. And he would make sure 
that you knew that. You know, one of the first things he'd ask what would be about your family, not, not even about baseball. And then when he did become the baseball, he always gave you confidence. You know, you know, I, before I'd be off a game, he'd turn to me, Jahir, I need you, brother. I need you today. You know, we got Ken Griffey Jr. in the lineup. We have Adam Dunn. We got superstars. But he looks to me and goes, I need you today, brother. I need you. Get on base three times a day. You know, that type of talk, you know, would kind of fire you up. Like I said, I had the best career, uh, best year of my career under Dusty. You know, a lot, a lot of that was giving me confidence. You know, even though I was a confident guy, he always reassured me, hey, man, you're, you're going to do something great today. And he did that for everybody. He always got the most out of his teams, you know. And you look at wherever he went, whether it was in Cincinnati, whether it was in Chicago, whether it was in San Francisco, whether it was in the Nationals, Houston, those teams were always battling for championships. He always got his teams in the postseason. And Dusty's, uh, you know, confidence, the way he spoke, the way he genuinely cared, you know, it rubbed off on everybody. And he was, you know, without doubt, even though I had great managers, you know, I had really good relationship with a lot of managers. Dusty Baker was, was my favorite, very prepared. He'd let me know, Hey, Tuesday, you're going to play shortstop. Uh, I'm going to give you the day off on Wednesday, but Thursday, Friday, Saturday, that week, I'm going to need you in center field. So make sure you're rested up. Make sure your legs are fresh. He would let those guys know when they would play. And he was prepared. He made sure his teams were prepared. His players were prepared. Just awesome. And, you know, I'll tell you a quick story about Kenker for Junior. I know we were just talking about him. Talk about a guy who was ultra confident. I remember my brother Scott, you know, tied up a game in, in San Diego, a day game. And in the ninth inning with a home run, we end up playing 18 innings. We're just dead tired. We, we fly back to Cincinnati. Uh, Junior has the, has the, the night off uh, because we got in very, very late. You know, I had the day off because I've been playing like, you know, 12 games in a row. And I, I'm on the bench, and Dusty Baker tells us here in the ninth, if they bring in the lefty, Jay Harry, you're going to lead off the inning. But if they bring in the closer caps, we're playing Pittsburgh, have Junior lead off, and then you, you follow him behind him. I was like, cool. So I go clubhouse, tell Junior, hey, bro, are they bringing caps? You're going to lead off the inning. Now, Junior's, you know, he's got his, you know, pants on, but he doesn't have his spikes on. He's got his T-shirt on. So he told Dusty, hey, I'll be ready to go if you need me in the ninth inning. He puts on his spikes, puts on his, his jersey. You know, he doesn't even take any dry swings or anything. I tell him, hey, ready to go. They're bringing in Caps. Caps comes running in to, you know, pitch the tie, in a tie ball game in the bottom of the ninth. So, you know, I'm me and Junior on deck. Junior takes a couple of warm-up, you know, swings. Didn't hit at all. He has the bat weight, pounds the bat weight, turns to me. If he throws me a fastball, you ain't hitting tonight. Now, this is Griffey, who's 40 years old. You know, so I played with Junior when he was at the tail end of his career. This ain't prime Junior. This ain't 24, 25, hitting 58 home runs a year. You know, he's still got that juice, but not, you know, in his prime. Matt Capps throws him a breaking ball, 1-0. He gets a long fastball. He turns this thing around and hits a missile out right, for a walk-off home run. Think about this, Booney. Junior was my favorite player growing up, and I grew up in the big leagues, right, We're around big leaguers. But Junior was our Michael Jordan. And I'm on deck. He tells me, looks at me, if, he, if I get a fastball, you ain't hitting tonight. He gets that fastball, hits a walk-off home run. And he goes, I told you, bro, I told you. That was pretty special. Well, that doesn't surprise me one bit. I mean, because I saw him in his <laughs> when he when he was in that his heyday, and he was like from another planet. I remember Jay yep. Buner telling me when I first got to the big leagues, he goes, "Brett, that guy right there, he's different than the rest of us." <laughs> and <laughs> some of the things he would say, 
like he he would predict things and and back then oh, yeah. i mean he's in you know he's in his heyday and it, he was amazing to watch amazing uh, and one quick since, story about junior too i was on base when he hit his 600 home run i was on base so real quick he 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 was sitting on 599 think about this for a second he was sitting on 599 home runs for like you know six or seven days so they're doing a show on on, on uh, sports center or espn or whatever and they're saying, Junior, he's old, he's washed up, he's stuck on 599. He probably won't get to 600 for another month or two. His back speed is slow. They're just talking trash. And I turn up, I'm sitting down, I look up, and Junior's over my left shoulder. And then Junior hears this, and he goes, that's it. It's tonight. Tonight, we're in Miami. Tonight's the night. Tonight's the night. I'm going 600. To let everybody know. Reporters are there. The team's there. And I'm sitting there going, I'm leading off. He is third. I'm going to make sure I'm on base. So I'm scratching, scratching. I lead off the game with a base hit. I'm like, yes. He always told me, if you get the second and I'm on base, less than two strikes, whatever, still third. Because they're more worried about me. They're going to overlook you, get the third base, so I at least get a sack fly and I could try to go for a home run. So I stole third base because they weren't even paying attention to me because they were worried about Junior. I get the third base. I go, he's going to try to go deep here because at least he gets a sack fly. Sure enough, gets a pitch he can handle. 600 home run on his first at-bat that night. He told everybody he was hitting 600 that night, and he did. It's it, Yeah, it's right in line. It's, it's stuff he's always done. That's why he's junior. Uh, 2009, go to the Yankees, and that's, that's the big year. You, you win the World Series. Um, Got to be awesome. And we've had so many guys on the show that have won the World Series, have have lost World Series, have never got to World Series. And and I kind of like a like a broken record. I keep repeating it every year. I watch the the big league season and I I see that I see that team at the end, you know, hoisting that trophy. And I always I always think, you know, maybe maybe when I was 25, 30 years old, I didn't appreciate it the way I appreciate it yeah. now. But I know how hard it is to not only get there. Uh, to You mentioned Junior. Junior never got to a World Series. One of yeah. the greatest players in the history of the game. That tells you right there, don't take this thing for granted. So I see those guys at the end of the year, and they're host, hoisting that trophy, and I think, that's cool. Because it's so hard, and you may never even get to the postseason again, let alone win a World Series. Take me through 09. Had to be unbelievable. Well, it was incredible. And I, and I just started playing every day in Cincinnati again. And I didn't want That's to That's why you got traded. Had a, <laughs> yeah, I got traded from Cincinnati in 09. And I was playing a lot. We had a young Brandon Phillips at second base. We had young Joey Votto, who's coming into his own. Uh, later becomes the MVP, I think, two years later. Uh, and we had Jay Bruce. I didn't want to leave those guys. You know, I was the veteran on that team. And there was rumors I was going to trade in Minnesota. And I was like, man, I don't want to go to Minnesota. No knock on Minnesota. I just wanted to stay with this group because I knew how special this group was going to be in a year or two. Um, Dusty Baker calls me in the office. He said, listen, man, you've been traded. And, and I was crushed, man. I, I was crushed. I did not want to leave. And I said, hey, my agent at the time, Casey Close, said it's probably going to be Minnesota. You know, they've been kind of eyeing you. They, they want you to play shortstop for them. Uh, and then out of the blue, he said, hey, you've been traded uh, to the Yankees. I was like, what? Because I'd never heard about the Yankees, you know. Yeah, you got traded for the Yankees. Hey, Dusty goes, hey, man, if the Yankees want you, you know, they're, they're the best team in baseball. You know, they know you could help them win. You know, we're going to miss you. I didn't want to leave, leave Dusty. 
you know, but at the same time, I know this is an opportunity to win, you know, and you got Derek Jeter over there, A-Rod, you know, Mariano Rivera, Posada, just an incredible team. The first guy I see, I meet them in Chicago, we're playing the White Sox, I get there really early. The first guy I see in the clubhouse was Mariano Rivera. He comes up to me and he goes, hey, Mariano, welcome home, you know, and I was like, wow, for him to say that, um, it was it meant a lot because we know Mariano is best, best closer ever. Then everybody gets in. I knew Jeep. You know, we had the same agent. He comes over. We start talking. Everybody welcomes me with open arms. He goes, hey, man, you've been here the whole year. In our eyes, you've been here the whole year. I was the only one traded at the deadline. And I made it clear, listen, I will do whatever you guys need me to do. Told Joe, I'll be ready. You need me to play anywhere, I'll be ready. Um, it was a unique group. We had incredible superstars but everybody knew this is the year we had to win. So they always made sure they moved the runner over. They played small ball. Even though they were stunned in the lineup, they always, we always played for each other. And it was really cool to see superstars, Hideki Matsui, A-Rock, go the other way, drive the ball the other way to make sure that guy got over from second to third so the next guy can drive him in. Um, it was one of the confidence team, most confident team I've ever been on. Never were rattled. Um, Jeet was an incredible leader. Guy, even though he didn't say a whole lot, when he talked, obviously everybody listened. Uh, we knew we had a, a unique, unique opportunity with the talent that we had in the room, but we also knew we needed to take advantage of it. We couldn't take any team for granted. Uh, we beat the Twins, beat the Angels, and then if we were, we were going to play the defending champion, the Phillies. We knew how great they were with J-Roll, Udley, Howard, and their group. But at the end of the day, we felt we were the most talented team. We had the best bench. We had the best starting nine. Great rotation. Obviously, the best closer. And to be on the field, I was playing left field when we, you know, when Mariano closed out the game, ground ball our second base. Robbie Cano threw it first. I got a chance to be on the field. I didn't take it for granted because I, I said to myself, my grandfather didn't have this opportunity. My uncle, my dad, my brother, and I felt very fortunate to not only be on the team, but to be on the field for the final out. And I still think about it to this day. And you mentioned Junior. Barry Bonds never won a World Series. So many great players never won a World Series. And I just felt so fortunate uh, to be on that team and just be a small part of that team. And uh, tremendous clubhouse, great leadership. And I learned so much from that, that team, that group, that I still apply it to, to my life today. Uh, very cool. 2010, you mentioned earlier, you played, got to play with your brother, Scott. Uh, I played with Aaron in, in 1998 in Cincinnati. And, you know, it, it wasn't like I, I just have glimpses of that year because it's still the grind. You know, it's nice to yeah. that your brother's on the team, but it's still big league baseball. You know, I think a lot of us yeah. after we retire, all said and done, we wish that we would have uh, just stopped a little bit to enjoy what we had. But. But when you're going through it, you know, you're worried about who's pitching tomorrow, who's pitching the next night. Yep. Uh, of course, when you look back, man, I would I wish I would have really savored those those moments a little bit more. The 98 season I played with Aaron. I never thought of I'm playing with my brother. I thought Aaron's a third baseman. and He better give me a good feed on double plays. <laughs> uh, so I, that was my experience. I enjoyed the, the season with him, but I don't remember it as, as being this big. You know, we don't think that way. We don't think our brother's here. How cool yeah. it is. You know, we we don't think like that. We got a job to do. Uh, how was it playing for your brother and with your brother in 2010? 
Well, it, it was great. You know, we got a chance to play together. You know, we mentioned my father and my grandfather. My mom is Mexican. She's from, uh, from Mexico, Sonora. And we got a chance to play for Team Mexico in 2009, the year before. So that was the first time I got a chance to play with my brother and be on the same team as him. I never played with him, you know, growing up because I'm four years older than he is. So we never played in Little League teams together or high school teams together. So at least we got a taste of it in the World Baseball Classic, and it was great. And I didn't want to try to be that older brother, that older bearing brother, because he had a career of his own, you know. And I know you were the same way with, with Aaron. You know, they, they have their unique career. And so going into 10, at least we had that experience. And what we did, is, we did decide to do is at home, we didn't want to have our lockers together because we didn't want to have the click. You know what I'm saying? We let everybody know, even though we're brothers, we want to make sure we're all brothers in here. You know, that team in 2010, we were picked to lose 110 games. You know, we ended up winning, winning 90 games because we had guys, Tony Gwynn Jr., Will Venable, my brother, myself. We had a lot of guys that were around the game that knew how to play the game the right way. So we had David Eckstein, Adrian Gonzalez, uh, guys, Yorvi Torrealba, guys that knew how to play the game, but we're all brothers. And we start off from day one. We said, Scott's going to be on one end of the clubhouse, and I'm going to be on the other end of the clubhouse. And we're all going to be united that way. We don't want to have any clicks, and we made that a point. Now, on the road, we would, we, our lockers would be uh, next to each other uh, because, you know, the roadies, they always put the brothers next to each other, you know. Uh, but that was cool, man. I loved playing with him. Scott was injured a lot that year. Um, but he always kept a great head, great, great, great you know, attitude. Uh, I had a pretty good year, you know, offensively, defensively, but I loved play, playing in San Diego. Great city, man. I loved that city. Lived in La Jolla, and my brother lived by me. And we did savor that. And I know even though you said that, you know, you don't really, you know, look back on it, you wish you would have taken more in, in I knew then at least I know it's the big leagues. You, you, this is a grind, but I wanted to make sure I savored it because we may not get this opportunity again, and we did. That was the only year we played together. We go to lunch all the time, have dinner, we talk. Um, our kids were the same age, so uh, it was a unique opportunity. We're still obviously close to this day. He lives here in Phoenix as well, um, and we play golf uh, 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 together all the time, and we're completely different. I'm more talkative. I'm more like my mom. You know, I'm always kind of the chatterbox. Uh, Scott's more like my dad, very quiet, doesn't say a whole lot. So uh, we're different, but uh, we're, we're definitely close. Very cool. 11, uh, you go to Washington and Milwaukee, and then you come kind of home where, where you made it your home ever since you retired uh, for the 2012-2013 season with the Dodgers. Uh, and give me, give me the story. Give me the uh, on-deck Joe Montana heckling you. I want to hear it. Oh, I was with the Dodgers, and I remember, you know, being on deck in San, in San Francisco. Obviously, the Giants-Dodgers rivalry is, you know, very similar to the Yankees and Red Sox, and fans are always giving it to you. And, you know, I'm having a decent year. I'm hitting about 270-something, whatever, and this guy's, you know, hackling me. You know, I don't look over there. You know, my first at-bat, let off the game. Got a, I think I hit a double, scored a run. I kind of glanced over to see who's heckling me as I'm going in the dugout. And I look over, and there's this big, heavy-set dude guy, and then there's Joe Montana. Both of them are kind of barking. I may go, is Joe Montana heckling me a little bit? So I made sure my second at bat, I go, look over. If they heckle me, I'm going to make sure it's Joe Montana. So it's, it's really the other guy kind of heckling me, that big, heavy-set guy. And he's talking a lot of crap. And 
and Joe Montana's kind of giving it to me a little bit. And I turn over to the big, big dude and go, bro, chill, chill, man. You know, relax. I told Joe, you can say whatever you want. You've earned the right to talk trash. Joe can talk, but make sure uh, you don't say nothing. And then he, the big guy, so turns around and goes, how tall are you? You look like you're like five foot one. You know what I'm saying? And guess what, Booney? I stole your line. I go, yeah, I may be five foot nothing. But I'm pretty tall when I stand on my wallet. I stole that line from you, by the way, and I used it that day. So, <laughs> it's a good one. It'll, it'll, shut, it, it'll shut people up. It, it, it shut him up pretty good. And I told Joe, you can say whatever you want. And in fact, you're in a, uh, you know, we're in a little de- delay. I turn to Joe. I go, Joe, I met you in Rochester, New York in 1999. I was Rochester Red Wings Player of the Year, and you gave a keynote speech that day. And we sat next to each other. We talked. He goes, Bro, I remember that. So we talked for a couple minutes right there, and I, I got a chance to, 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 to meet up with uh, Joe that night, kind of re- reminisce about what happened or transpired years earlier. So uh, it was a pretty good, pretty good night, you know, you know, getting helped by Joe Montana. And uh, he's a huge Giants fan. Obviously, he's huge in the Bay, rightfully so. But it was the other guy doing the most of the heckling. After the 13th season, you retire. Uh... 16 years and and a, and a world championship ring great career you it and that brings me to the to the to the broadcast booth for you you've been with sportsnet la i think now ever since you retired at the end of your career when you got to la did you start thinking all right i know i'm kind of you know we all know when we're kind of getting to the end and did you start thinking now i want to go into the booth i want to do something stay in the game did you all did you always want to do what you're doing current day i know I've been wanting to be a broadcaster ever since I talked to Don Drysdale when I was nine years old. I didn't know Don Drysdale, who was the White Sox broadcaster at the time. We're taking the bus from the hotel to County Stadium in Milwaukee, and I sat next to Don Drysdale. And I told him, hey, I, I love hearing you and, and watching you on TV. I learned a lot about baseball. And Don Drysdale, a humble man, he said, well, I, I played the game too. And I, you know, at nine years old, I go, you played? I just thought you were a broadcaster. Then I go back and do some research, and Don Drysdale was a superstar, you know, Brooklyn Dodger star. And I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to play in the big leagues and then talk about baseball when I'm done. So I actually, you know, Don Drysdale gave me that vision. So I knew, Booney, as you know, you know, our fathers and you know, grandfathers didn't make the money that, that's made now. You know, so a lot of guys had, you know, jobs after they were done playing uh, or when they were in the offseason. You know, so I knew that I wasn't going to make $500 million in a game like A-Rod. I want to do something after, after uh, my career was over. So what I did was I started, you know, to talk to Harold Reynolds, talk to guys that were in the broadcasting industry. I did some work for ESPN, did some stuff for MLB Network while I was a player. And I made sure I got reps. Lon Rosen, who's one of the owners for the Dodgers, saw me do reps on MLB Network. He said, dude, you're great. We want you to do some stuff. Uh, for us during the season. Now, I made sure it didn't affect my play on the field, but I did do some stuff, you know, fun stuff for MLB.com for the Dodgers site. Then he said, hey, you're great on TV. I want to make sure you do TV for us. We're about to have a network. Nobody knows. When we have the Dodger network, you're going to be with us. So they offered me the contract after 13 to be on TV. I could have played another year, uh, but I said, you know what? especially where my life is at, where my kids were at at the time. I want to make sure I was around my kids more. And this is a job the Dodgers offered. I can't, I can't pass this up. 
And now I'm in my ninth year, entering my ninth year, and it felt like it was three years ago. You know, and it was probably one of the best decisions I ever made. Dodgers, first-class organization, they treat everybody there uh, extremely well. Um, and they're, they're in the postseason every year, so it's fun covering them. Great group of guys, and it's always fun covering a team that, that's in it and has a chance to win. Very cool. Jerry Harrison Jr., thanks for coming on the program. This is a two-parter today. You're going to stick around. We're going to break down the 2022 Major League Baseball season. Jerry and myself are going to give our thoughts, few predictions. To facilitate that, we're going to bring in national talk show host Rich Herrera. Rich, let's do it. Thanks so much, Booty. Let's take a look at the 2022 baseball season and get your predictions, your fearless predictions that hopefully will hold up by the end of the season. So let's get started with the National League East. Booney, since you're the home team, we'll let Jerry go first. Give me your predicted order of finish in the National League East. Who do you like, Jerry? Well, National League East, I got to go with the defending champion, Braves. Uh, I think they're still talented, even though they lost Freddie Freeman. Uh, They're going to get Ronald Acuna Jr. back. He is one of the best players in the game. He's electric. Their starting rotation is good. And you can make a case, an argument, that the Braves' bullpen is probably the best bullpen in all of baseball. So I'm going to have the Braves first. Uh, Right behind them, uh, I think the Mets, with their pitching, and they will add another arm or two or even another player or two with their owner at the deadline being very aggressive. I think they come in second place. Right behind them will be the, the Phillies. I think the Phillies' offensive firepower is just it, it really special. Their, their pitching is still a question mark, especially in the bullpen. Uh, and then 4-5, it, it's really a toss-up between the Marlins and the Nationals. The Nationals have made some moves, but they're heading in the right direction. They're trying to rebuild there. they got a stud there in Soto. Uh, and then the Marlins, you know, they're still going to be bringing up the rear. Brett, what do you have for the predicted finish of the National League East? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna parrot Jerry with the Braves. I, I think they're they're poised, and some guys like that had breakthrough years last year, uh, like Riley. You didn't have a Kuna uh, down the stretch and and to win that World Series. You're gonna have him back. Freddie Freeman's gone, but you're replacing him with a young stud and Olson. I'm gonna pick them on top again. I'm gonna go with the Phillies over the Mets. Mets, to me, they've made a lot of improvements. And, and coming out of the shoot, thinking DeGrom, Scherzer, Bassett, that's a that's a pretty formidable three. DeGrom's already on the shelf. Scherzer, I know it was precautionary. He was scratched from a late spring training uh, outing the other day. So I don't know. I, I just don't trust that rotation. And I think their, their winning and losing depends on that rotation so, so heavily. The Phillies, I like them second place. Uh, they've added Schwarber. Neville, Hand, uh, Castellanos, and Familia. Uh, That's a good team. It's already a bolstered lineup. Now it's extra bolstered. I think the key to them is Wheeler's at the top of that rotation. Nola's got to be Nola. Nola's that stud a couple years ago we thought was going to be a Cy Young candidate. He faltered a little bit last year. Nola's got to be Nola, but I think they can give the Braves a run for it, but I picked them second. Coming up the rear is going to be the Marlins and the Nationals. I picked the Nationals this year to kind of finish in last. Uh, you got Soto, Cruz, and Bell as the three uh, veterans down there in, in national territory. But I think it's going to be a long year for them. All right. Answer this question for me, Jerry. Biggest surprise, biggest disappointment of the division will be what? The biggest disappointment of the division for the NL East? Yes, sir. 
who do you who do you think is going to struggle this year? As far as the team wise or player wise? Uh, no, we're going to leave it blank. We'll let you guys put it out there because these are those predictions we always make, and then we look back at the All Star break like, what was I thinking? I'm 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 going to go with the Phillies, man, and I know uh, Brett makes some great points. But I think the Phillies bullpen is a huge question mark. Yes, they have a, a really good one-two punch in, in, in Wheeler and Nola, but their bullpen, you have to be able to get out in the seventh, eighth, ninth inning. Now, do they have enough firepower offensively? Maybe. But everybody's predicting them that they're going to definitely make the postseason. But I think they might be the biggest disappointment. All right, Brad, I'll let you take your choice. Tell me the biggest surprise of the division or the biggest disappointment you see coming. Ah, I think the Marlins could surprise you. They got some electric arms. Uh, they could surprise you, and I stress could. Biggest disappointment, <laughs> I'm going to flip-flop with Jerry. He's going to go with my Phillies as the biggest disappointment. I'm going to go with the Mets as the big, biggest disappointment because I think this offseason, all the moves Cohen made, there's some high hopes in Mets territory. I think it's going to be a disappointment. All right, let's go to the National League Central. Uh, Booney, you get to go first this time. Give me the predicted order of finish. Order of finish for the National League Central, I think that's easy for me. It's the Brewers. I think they're the premier starting rotation in all of baseball. Offense is very short, but in the end, I always go with starting pitching. I'm going to go with the Brewers. Cardinals finish in second. And, you know, the Reds had a fire sale. The Pirates are the Pirates, and the Cubs are kind of rebuilding. They're going to finish third, fourth, and fifth in any order. Cardinals only going to be there because it seems they're one of those organizations that year in and year out, they find a way to get to that postseason. You got Molina, uh, you know, heading up that – catching that and, and heading up that uh, – that rotation, that's a huge plus. Having that veteran presence behind the plate, they're definitely going to be second. All right, Jerry, what do you got? What's your projected order of finish for the Central? I think it's one of the easier divisions in baseball. That's going to be pretty easy. I think the Brewers are head and above, head and above better than anybody in that division. They will finish first. Uh, like Brett, I have the Cardinals finishing, finishing second. You know, they got some, still have some offensive firepower. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt is still as good as it gets at first base. You got tremendous power. They'll score enough runs, and then three, four, five. It's going to be a toss-up, man, because you know the the Pirates seems like they're tanking every year. I think they're going to finish last in that division, and, and then you have the Cubs. The Cubs are unique, man. They're a big market team, but they they act like they're a small market team. It's almost like the, the San Diego Padres and the Cubs switched. You know, the the Padres out west are a big market team all of a sudden, and the Cubs treat themselves like a small market team. So they'll finish third in that division. The Reds, I mean, they are on a fire sale. Uh, they'll finish fourth. Uh, and I already mentioned the Pirates finishing fifth. So uh, the Cardinals and the Brewers will, will find the way into the postseason. All right, Bunny, your turn. Who's going to be a surprise? Or do you want to pick a, a disappointment in the Central? Uh, I don't I, – I don't – this isn't – groundbreaking my surprises or or my uh, disappointment. I think the disappointment, but it's a disappointment it seems like every year is going to be the Pirates again. Uh, surprise is, is the Cardinals overcoming the Brewers. Uh, I'm not going to – I wouldn't put my name behind it, but it wouldn't completely shock me. All right. Jerry, uh, what do you got? For a surprise, I'm going to say Christian Yelich has a bounce pack season. Last couple of years, it's not been good for Christian Yelich. I think he comes back and has a Christian Yelich type of year. 
All right, let's take a look at the National League West. Uh, we're going to let Jerry. You, you have an insight on this one probably as well as anybody else uh, sitting around here since you see him every day. Give me the breakdown of the West. Well, I think it's the Dodgers. They're going to win that division again. They didn't win it last year. You know, the Giants won 107 games last year, uh, but the, the Dodgers this year uh, overtake them and, and win the division. And this year, I think the Padres have a better second half than they did last year. They have a really good starting rotation. They got enough firepower to kind of withstand the loss of Tatis for a couple months. They finished second. Uh, I, I think the Giants will be not as good as they were last year, obviously. I think missing Buster Posey is going to crush them, not just offensively, but also on the pitching side. You know, he handled that pitching staff as good as anybody, very knowledgeable behind the plate. He's going to be missed sorely. I think they finished 500 in third place. Uh, fourth and fifth is going to be a toss-up. Uh, fight uh, to the death between the Show Rocks, the Colorado Rockies, and, and the Arizona Diamondbacks. See, now I know why Joe Montana was harassing you. <laughs> you picked the Giants to come in third. No, no wonder Montana's giving you the business on deck. They, they Listen, they're not as good as they were last year. Last year was an anomaly, in my opinion. Even though Farhan knows what he's doing, he did an incredible job. How do you replace Buster Posey, man? You just don't. You don't do it in the year. First ballot Hall of Famer. Booney, who do you got in the West? Oh, this is going to upset Jerry. Uh, I've got – all right. I've got the Giants doing it again. I don't think it was an Are anomaly. I, I look at that starting – here's what I got. Dodgers forget. We got the Bauer thing. Nobody knows. You don't have Bauer on that staff. Kershaw. How is Kershaw going to be? First ballot Hall of Famer, one of the greatest lefties of all time. But I got a lot of question marks with him. The only question marks I don't have are with Bueller and Urias at the top of the rotation. You replace Kimbrell or you replace Jansen with Kimbrell. I don't know if that's an upgrade. I'm not going to argue with that lineup. Top to bottom, maybe one of the best lineups that we've seen in the last half century. But I look to Webb. They replaced Gossman with Rodon. Scalafini, Wood, and Cobb. They got a tremendous bullpen. I didn't factor in. I have to admit, I did not factor in the Buster Posey, uh, the absence mm-hmm. of him. That is going to be bigger than I factored in. But I think they're going to do it again. I don't think it was a fluke last year. I watched them all year, and I thought, how are they doing this? How are they doing this? When I was going over in, in my preseason uh, prep, I came up with the Giants again. So I got Giants, Dodgers. I got the Padres finishing third. A little disappointing. I thought on paper for me the Padres were going to be better. I don't think they can compete with those top two teams. I think the Tatis factor being out, that's, that's a lot of firepower out for three months. Colorado, I still can't understand why they why they uh, they're getting rid of all their players, but they're signing Bryant to this long term contract. And I think they're going to be in fourth place. I think Arizona is going to bring up the rear. All right, so we already know Booney's surprise in the West is going to be the Giants. What do you have for a surprise or a disappointment, Jerry? For a surprise, Dodger prospects Bobby Miller and Ryan Pepio will be in the rotation at season's end to help the second half of the season. A lot of people don't know about Ryan Pepio and, and Bobby Miller, but we do. These guys are studs. They're going to factor into the rotation in the second half of the season. There you go. All right, let's jump over to the American League East. Uh, Jerry, I'm going to let you go first so we take the pressure off of Brett picking what uh, Uncle Aaron's going to do in the East. So you go first. What's the predicted order of finish in the East? 
Yeah, well, Brett's not going to like this one bit. So right right now, I have the Toronto Blue Jays winning that division. They have so much firepower. They're young. They're hungry. Uh, the rotation is, is really good. Now, there are some questions about their bullpen, but I think they're going to be just fine. Uh, they'll, they'll make sure they'll have enough arms in that bullpen, but their offense is going to be unique. They're going to score a lot of runs, and they have an MVP candidate in Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette. Two studs. I think they win that division. Second place will be the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, they're a team that just figures it out, man. They, they just know how to win ball games, uh, and they are always in the hunt. Uh, they have a pretty good rotation. They will score enough runs. They got a stud in Franco in that lineup. Third and fourth place, man, this is a toss up. My heart wants to say the Yankees. It really does, man. Uh, I won a World Series with the Yankees. Uh, friends with Aaron, the manager does a great job but can they stay healthy man that has been the biggest key for them can they stay healthy are they going to have enough pitching uh and i hope they finish third but it's going to be a battle between the red sox and, and, and the yankees for third and fourth place in the fifth place uh that's an easy one uh, the baltimore Orioles, a team that i was drafted by twice came up with the orioles breaks my heart to see an empty camden yards uh they're going to be fifth I'm a big fan of Charlie Montoya. He's got something special going on up there. Bernie, what do you got in the East? Well, I think uh, you're not going to be shocked by this. Over, I, I, I've been grinding on the AL East because I think it's a real interesting division. I think there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of parity. My final answer is I'm going to go with Jerry Harrison. I think the Toronto Blue Jays win that division. I think the firepower, the the, the youth, and and they're just going to have one more year of experience. They were close last year. Man, they got a lot of talent on that team. You got Berrios for a full year at the top of the rotation. Gossman coming over. Ryu, who's been their opening day starter the last, uh, the last few seasons. I really like it. I think Toronto is going to win that division. I'm with Jerry as well on the health of the New York Yankees. On paper, you keep all those guys healthy. Man, that's a nasty bullpen headed by Chapman, Green, Luizaga, Holmes, Peralta. That's as nasty as it gets. Cole at the top of the rotation with Severino coming back. If he's the Severino of three years ago, you got something. You got a number one in that number two slot. So the, the whole thing with the Yankees is health. I'm going to pick them second. Man, Tampa Bay, I don't know how they do it. They're unicorns. You know, they just lost Meadows and, and Wendell. You know, not not huge numbers year in and year out on paper, but those two guys seem like big parts of that team. Meadows just got traded a couple days ago, Wendell this offseason, but they were kind of spark plugs for that team. Definitely Yankee killers. That's going to put them in the third spot for me, but they're still Tampa Bay. And nothing they do surprises me anymore. Tremendous organization. Whatever algorithm they're working has been working. Boston's going to finish fourth for me. I just don't think they have enough pitching. They got they got some real talented uh, guys on the offensive side of the ball, but I just don't think they have the pitching to do it, and and uh, I'll go with Jerry, too, on, on the Orioles. Of course, they're going to be in the basement, losing 110 games. All right, Jerry, you got a surprise in the uh, uh, in the division? I do. I have a surprise. It's going to be a surprise player. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hits 50 home runs this year. 50. Wow. All right. Jerry Hairston Jr. calling his shot. Vladdy Jr. going to hit 50 bombs. Booney, what do you got for a surprise or a disappointment? Not a surprise. As, as, as much as I want to believe that, and I have no reason not to believe that Tampa Bay will, will find a way to get to the postseason like they always do, this year they're not going to. 
They're, they're going to be what they should be on paper, and they're going to finish lower down than I predicted. Uh, and the disappointment, I think, in that division is going to be because of coming off a real hot finish last year and, and did well in the postseason. I think Boston's going to be a huge disappointment uh, this year in that ALA. So they're not going to be anywhere close to, to in competition. All right, Vinny, we're going to stay with you. Let's go to the American League Central. What do you got? American League Central, I think, is pretty easy. I think it's a weak division. And I think the White Sox are by far the class of that division. The firepower on the offensive side of the ball is huge. They've got, you know, Giolito Cease, Lynn, who was a, a Cy Young candidate last year. they got a great bullpen. Just really well-rounded. LaRusse's – I think LaRusse's the guy for that position. Uh, and it's a weak division. I think second, I've got the, the Guardians. I can barely say that. I've got Guardians written on all, all four walls right now, just so I remember. Not to say the Indians, God forbid, but I got the Guardians in second. Twins are rebuilding. They might be able to surprise you in that division. Uh, Royals and, and Tigers uh, finish out that division. But I think it's so clear on paper. You can't, you're not going to beat the White Sox. Jerry, what do you think? I agree. You know, the Chicago White Sox, I got a chance to talk to a scout here who uh, scouts all these teams here in Arizona spring training. He said, I scouted every team here in, in spring training in Arizona. The teams are west. He said, the White Sox are far and away the best team I've scouted. And he scouted the Dodgers, the Angels, all the teams in Arizona. He said, the White Sox by far are the best team. They're a throwback team. They put the ball in play. They hit the other way. They hit for power. They're going to have enough pitching. Uh, their bullpen is as solid, as good as it gets. White Sox going to run away with that division. They'll probably have that division wrapped up by August 15th. Uh, second, I'm going to flip-flop with Booney here. I, I just think uh, the Minnesota Twins, they've made some moves. They get Buxton back, who is a stud. When he's healthy, he's an MVP type of player. They added Correa. He's going to uh, add some spark to that lineup, add some confidence. Uh, they got enough pitching. Uh, do they have great pitching? No, they don't. But Neither does the other teams in the uh, in the Central. So I got the Twins second. The Guardians, they do have a pretty good, decent staff. Uh, not a great staff. Uh, their offense is still a hit or miss, uh, led by Ramirez, a third baseman. But they will finish third. And then four or five, it's going to be really a toss-up. You know, the Tigers are still rebuilding. Uh, I know they got their that number one pick uh, coming up. He will start at first base for them. And that moves um, Miguel Cabrera uh, as their everyday DH. Uh, and and then they were the Kansas City Royals will fight for those four or five spots. All right, um, let's take a look. Um, oh, any disappointments? Any any surprises? You guys think? Uh, if you want me to go, my surprise, and and it Jerry touched on a little bit with the Buxton. I've been watching this Buxton kid, and and probably. Not everybody, unless you're a real avid baseball fan, knows about Bucks. He's been hurt so much. This guy, start to finish, you give him 550 at bats. I think he's mm-hmm. an MVP. He's that big of a talent that nobody's heard of. We've heard of the all the great ones, the Vladimirs, the Bichettes, the Acunas, but you haven't heard much out of Buxton as, as far as those. Man, I just want to see him healthy. I think. Possible MVP in Buxton. The only thing that might keep him out is his twins might not finish high enough to give him that many votes. Uh, disappointment. I don't know if it's a disappointment. I think in Tigerland, they're uh, they're feeling a little bit better. They've been finishing at the bottom of the division for a while. They think they're going to move their way up. 
they're not gonna. They're gonna be a disappointment. They're gonna finish last. The only the only uh, fun part about Detroit this year is going to be watching Cabrera chase three thousand hits. I think he's only thirteen away. Yeah. All right. I think, uh, I think I'm sorry. Time, go ahead, Jerry. No, I, I just think for surprise, everybody's talking about a healthy Mike Trout who's a stud, Otani, Vlad Jr., uh, healthy Stanton and Aaron Judge. Those are key for the Yankees. But the guy who's going to win the batting title this year is going to be Tim Anderson of the Chicago White Sox. Just too talented, great bat the ball skills. He will be my batting champion this year. All right, let's take a look at the West, guys. What do you got, uh, Booney? We start with you. All right. I don't, I don't think you can unseat Houston atop the division. Uh, I'm looking for a, a bounce-back year from Bregman. You got Verlander coming back. I think he's pushing 40 years old, but you lose Grinky, you insert Verlander. I think Verlander, even at 40, makes a huge difference. Uh, he might come out strong. I think Houston, it's going to be tough to beat them. I think the Mariners, for the first time, uh, have a chance to make the postseason. I think uh, they've made some some offensive moves. I like Robbie Ray at the top of the rotation coming off a of Cy, uh, Cy Young year. Gonzalez and Flexen run that out. They've, they've added a few guys. They've got Frazier, the second baseman, 300 hitter, and Winker, who's a stud that they just got from, from Cincinnati. Suarez, I think he hit 180 or something last year, but he did hit 31 home runs. You lose Seager in those 100 RBIs. He retired. This young kid I'm looking for, his name's uh, Kellenick. He's got a chance to be a superstar. He's their center fielder, and I really like the young Crawford at shortstop. Reminds me of a, of a young uh, Rollins, uh, the Philly shortstop, for years and years. Uh, so that's one, two. I think the Angels are, are going to be third. They've got really fun guys to watch in Walsh, Otani, Trout, and Rendon. Rendon coming back after his injury last year. That's going to be fun to watch. They just don't have enough on the pitching side. Texas added Simeon and Seager, two MVP candidates, but that's not enough. They're going to finish fourth and rounding it out. This is a major rebuild for Oakland. Young Kotze in his first in his first campaign, they just kind of took all his players from him. So it's going to be interesting what Oakland does. But I think they rounded out. They finished fifth in that division. Jerry, yeah, I have a little bit of surprise. You know, I have I'm all in on the Mariners this year. You know, I, I just think they, they built on last year. Not losing Seager will hurt them in retiring. But I think they have that swag. They have this young kid in Booty. You know him. I think Rodriguez, stud. Yeah, he just he's made the team. Start, made the team. He is a can't-miss prospect. He's going to ignite that offense. I think he's going to have enough offense. They got really good starting pitching. And I think they build off and win the division. They're going to shock the Strohs. I think the Astros take a step back. Uh, you know, I love Dusty Baker. I think losing Carlos Correa is really going to hurt them. He brought swag, uh, that extra confidence to that, to that squad. Do they have enough pitching? I know they lost Zach Greinke. I know they got Verlander back. You never know how Verlander will bounce back coming off that, uh, that injury. I think they finished second. And right behind them, a game, right behind them, will be the Anaheim Angels. I really like their makeup with their ball club. They're athletic. Uh, Perry Menagerie, their, their GM, has done great things, making sure they have enough firepower in their bullpen. I love their bullpen. Now, their starters is still, you know, kind of hit or miss. We're, you know, with Otani, is he going to be able to stay healthy all year? Noah Syndergaard, are they going to be able to, to stay healthy? Uh, I think they come in third place, and they make the postseason. That will be my surprise for them. And then uh, fourth or fifth, it's easy. Texas Rangers, they're still in rebuild mode. 
I love the Corey Seager signing. He is a stud. Uh, Marcus Simeon can flat out rake. They're going to swing the bat a little bit, but they're still young in the pitching department. And then fifth, uh, former teammate of mine, Mark Kotze, who played together with the Brewers. Great dude, great baseball man. He is in for a long season for the Oakland A's. They lose about 105 games. It's a shame. They had a, they had a really good team last year, uh, but they have in complete re- rebuild mode. All right, guys, let's go rapid fire for some postseason awards. So break out your crystal ball. We'll start with the Cy Young Award winners for your prediction out of the American League and the National League. So rapid fire, Booney, who do you got for the American League and the National League Cy Young Award winners? I'm looking at the American League. There's one name that just pops off the paper, uh, Garrett Cole. I think he's going to win it. In the National League, I'm not so so sure. I'm a huge fan and and Jerry knows this of, of Urias over there in, in mm-hmm. L.A. He's my wild card winner. I really like Webb in San Francisco, but push comes to shove. I'm going to go with Burns of Milwaukee. There you go. Jerry, what do you got? Rapid fire American League National League Cy Young Award winners. American League Cy Young Award winner. This is a surprise. I'm going Berrios, Toronto Blue Jays. He wins mm-hmm. the Cy Young, just nasty slider. And for the National League, I'm going Walker Buehler. I think this is the year. He takes that next step and becomes a Cy Young Award winner. That's right. Everybody and their brother, Jerry, was trying to pry Walker Bueller away for every deal that ever got thrown over at Andrew Friedman. Everybody wanted Walker Bueller from the lowest levels to the minors, and now you see him paying off. So if that comes to fruition, uh, Dodgers did a good job by protecting him for all those years. Let's go to the American League National League MVP. Uh, Jerry, we'll start with you. Who do you have for your MVPs in each league? Uh, MVP, American League, I'm going with the Toronto Blue Jays. Vladimir Guerrero, he hits 50 home runs, and this is the year he wins the MVP. Uh, the National League, I'm going Trey Turner. Trey Turner. Oh, no. MVP. Yes. He's, he's a free agent this year. He's hitting third in the lineup for the Los Angeles Dodgers. are going to score a lot of runs. He's going to have an epic year. He's the MVP of the National League. Booney, what do you got? If Otani's healthy, it's over before the before it even starts. If he's pitching and hitting like he did a year ago and he can stay healthy, uh, I think Otani wins it again. I'm with Jerry on, on Vladimir Guerrero. I look at his swing, and I think that swing can't go bad. Vladimir uh, stays healthy. Other than Otani being in the league, Vladimir would be it. But a healthy Otani, I think it's over before it starts. And the reason I laughed at your Trey Turner is because I don't think too many people out there have Trey Turner as that for sure MVP. I have the same one written down. Trey Turner is my National League MVP. He can beat you so many different ways. You get to watch him on a daily basis, Jerry. But he's a shortstop. He can steal a bag as good as anybody. He's got power. I I think he won the batting title last year. I mean, this guy can beat you so many different ways. That's weird that we both have Trey Turner. I'm with you on that one. All right. Let's next go to the – Very similar to to your year in Seattle when you guys went, went crazy. When you had all those guys in front of you, you, you went nuts. You had your best year when you guys won 100, what, 16 games? That's mm-hmm. kind of what I see Trey Turner. He's going to have so many guys in front of him always on base, and he's going to lead, lead the way. All right, let's jump to the pennant winners of the National League and American League. Booney, who do you have winning the NL pennant, or who do you have winning the AL pennant? AL pennant, Toronto versus the Giants. I like it. I like it. All right. Now, I kind of have a feeling where Jerry's going to go, but Jerry, who do you got winning the pennants? I think the Dodgers will 
beat the Braves in the NLCS. They'll represent the National League. And I got the Toronto Blue Jays being uh, the American League winner. Yeah, I just saw Tony Montoya right before uh, he left for camp. Uh, I, you know what? I'm with you. I think this might be the winner Toronto Blue Jays. Who do you all have as the winner who hoists the trophy up at the end of the year? Who do you have as your World Series winner for this year, guys? Well, uh, we'll start with you, Booney. Nobody's going to like this. San Francisco Giants are the are World Series champions. And, you know, I said this. It's different now, Jerry, being that the, that the, the stadium's downtown. I remember when I came up, I, I played in uh, Old Candlestick. But something about San Francisco, there is a distinct home field advantage. I don't know. I think the planets are going to line up. Last year, I was dead wrong. I picked the Braves to have no chance to end up winning the World Series. Nobody likes my pick this year. I'm taking the San Francisco Giants. Well, you know, I've, I've influenced Booney so much uh, with all of this. You picked the Giants to win a World Series after they just lost Buster Posey. I don't think it's going to happen. I got the, the Dodgers winning the World Series in six games. Six games at Chavez Ravine, and we're all going to be drinking – drinking that champagne after game. <laughs> no, no, Jerry, I do push Booney that way. And I, I constantly harass him. Giants, giants, giants. So Booney, I'm glad that I had this influence fund. Oh, yes, you did. You, you know, you know how I, easy I am to sway. <laughs> just to, just to kind of push him. Well, guys, uh, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Uh, one, can you give me one fearless prediction that you're going to regret by the all-star break? Just something you think might happen, but Ah, you never know. Uh, I will say the Braves repeat as World Series champions. All right, I like it. What do you got, Jared? I, I missed the question. What was the question again? I was going to say, give me a fearless prediction that you'll probably regret by the All-Star break. Just go out on a limb for me. A fearless prediction? Yes, sir. The, uh, well, I, I I was all in on the on the Blue Jays winning the AL East and going to the World Series, so that's my fearless prediction. Love it, love it. All right, well that's a look at the uh, at the twenty two season with Jerry and Booney. Jerry has the Dodgers winning it all. Brett has the Giants winning it all. I think I'm going to put money on both sides. Now I'm just going to put the money on the Giants. Uh, but this has been fun catching up with you too. Thanks, Rich. All right, hey, let's sit over Dan Levy and he'll wrap everything up for us today. All right, gentlemen, I guess you have a couple of questions for you, and then you guys can be on your way. And two of them are for Jerry, and one of these are this. Jerry, can you give me a quick Magic Johnson story? <laughs> well, Magic Johnson, he just became part owner of the Dodgers in May of 2012. I was just on the team, and that's the very first time uh, me being cocky, we and Brett were talking about this. I walk up to Magic Johnson. I was like, you know what? It's good to have another elite point guard in the organization. That was my, my introduction. I went to Magic Johnson and said this. <laughs> the greatest point guard of all time. I go to him. I seek him out. And I say, it's good to have another great point guard, elite point guard in the organization. He busted out laughing. Later on, a couple years later, he became my boss because he was also with the, uh, the broadcast department as well. Incredible guy. There's a reason why they call him Magic is because he's so great on the court, but also great with everybody else. He's always on. All right. And then question number two, give me the difference in the pressure and what it's like to play 
in Chicago and in L.A., the differences and the uh, similarities? Well, <clears throat> L.A., it's more Hollywood. You know, the media is not on you as, as much. Everything's gravy. you got the perfect weather. It's always 70, 75 degrees at BP. We're on game time, about 65 degrees. Perfect night for, for baseball. Chicago, I grew up there. You can walk to the stadium in June. It could be 42 degrees. It could be rain, sleet, very tough conditions, windy city for a reason. I think that's the biggest pressure is the weather. The weather is unpredictable. But as far as the fan bases, both love their teams. And after retirement for the both of you guys, this is a question I have. When you both decided that this is the last game I'm going to play, it's over, I'm retiring, and then the next season starts, what is going through your heads? Are you guys, all right, I'm done with it, or are you like, I kind of wish I was there? Well, two different paths. And Jerry retired. He actually retired. I retired. I unretired. I retired. I unretired. I came back with the Washington Nationals in 2008 spring training uh, because I had some, some, you know, I wasn't sure that I was done. I went through the spring training. I went to AAA for about 10 games and, you know, prepared for it as good as I could going into that off season. Um, but finally I had some closure. I ended up retiring for the final time. I didn't look back and, and I'd never had any questions anymore. Cause I'd went out, I had tested it. I knew that I was a, uh, you know, a skeleton, what I used to be. And I was okay with it. it. I needed that closure. When I first walked away from the game, I, I felt like it was a premature, premature decision. I came back, got some closure. And ever since that day, I've, I've been just fine on opening day, being a spectator. Jerry, you know, I, I was very fortunate because, you know, because I could play a lot of different positions that prolonged my career. And then I knew as I started getting toward the end of my career, I wanted to get into broadcasting. So I would either work for maybe an MLB network or fortunately now working for the Dodgers. And I have been the last nine years. So I kind of walked into it uh, knowing that my last year in 13 might be my last, knowing that the Dodgers are going to have a network. So I was very fortunate to kind of hit the ground running with my broadcasting. And I had something to fall back if I didn't want to play anymore. So 13, I had a sense it was probably my last year. My kids are getting a little older. My son was getting a little older. He wanted to see me a lot more. So um, I, I had the decision where I retired. You know, I could have played another year, but I was thinking, you know, that was very selfish of me. I played long enough, and it was time to be around my kids and make sure I raise them. And then the Dodgers afford me the opportunity to, you know, be able to, to be around the game as a broadcaster with the Dodgers and raise my kids. So I was very, very fortunate. Unique situation. If you're from Chicago, do you prefer deep dish or thin crust? Come on, man. I, I want Chicago deep dish. But <laughs> anywhere else, I want thin crust because I don't trust anybody else's deep dish. That's how good Chicago deep dish is. All right. Good to know. Chicago here. Chicago strong. Jerry, thanks so much for coming on the Moon Podcast, sir. We appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks for having me. That's going to do it for the Brett Moon Podcast. My name is Dan Levy, the technical director, producer, voice of the Moon Podcast, EP, executive producer, Rich Herrera Digital. All gets uploaded by Liz Landry. Do us a favor, share the Moon Podcast, neighbors and friends, and all those that love sports. Make sure you subscribe. 
never miss an episode. And while you're at it, give us a five-star rating and share your feelings about the podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on The Boone Podcast, he is Brett Boone. You can find him on social media at the Boone 29 I'm Dan Levy, B-A-S-S on air. That is base on air, all of my social medias. Thanks for listening. We'll do it again soon. Have a great one.